welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. And while you're turning there, just a little introduction. In 1984, uh, Tina Turner, anybody know who Tina Turner was? (laughs) Came out with a song called, What's Love Got to Do With It? And she asked that question in that song, and you listen to the lyrics, and it kind of trivializes the significance of what I would call true love, calling it a secondhand emotion and a sweet old-fashioned notion. Her lyrics really speak of the limitations, and even, I'll go so far as to say, sometimes the delusion of a strictly human physical, emotional love. In the first verse, I'm not going to sing it, but I'll, I'll recite it for you. Only she can do that. Uh, it's, it speaks about physical attraction, but also recognizing that there's something more, there's something deeper to what real true love is. So she says, You must understand how the touch of your hand makes my pulse react that it's only the thrill of a boy meeting girl opposites attract. It's physical, only logical. You must try to ignore that it means more than that. That line itself intrigued me because what she's saying here is in order to enjoy relationships on a strictly superficial level, which is kind of what she's talking about here, you have to ignore the fact that there's something deeper. You have to kind of put it out of your mind. So in the chorus, she kind of tries to justify, and I'm not judging her, this is just how the song goes, her base and shallow feelings by asking that question, what's love got to do with it? What's love got to do with it? What's love but a secondhand emotion? What's love got to do with it? Got to do with it? What's, who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? Got to do, got to do with it? What's love but a sweet old-fashioned notion? What's love got to do, got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? So there's kind of a self-centered motivation in that song. The thought is here, if we can eliminate love in the truest sense, or redefine love, maybe, when talking about relationships, then our hearts won't get broken. And we can focus on our own needs and our own desires. But I think about it, and I realize that that's really self-centered. That's selfish. And that's really not anything what love is all about. True biblical love is much deeper than that. It's much deeper than the self-centered emotion that most of us have seen maybe depicted in the movies or even experienced ourselves. The shame of it is that I think a lot of people get their idea about love from the culture, from the movies or songs. And I think that the culture 
has done a disservice to true love in that they've kind of distorted it in many ways. So Tina is singing here about the difference between emotional or even physical love and that infatuation and passion that goes with it and the deeper feelings of love that involve commitment and sacrifice. Now those two things are not something that you usually hear about when you're talking about love. You know, you, uh, February is kind of the love month. You, you know, watch Hallmark and it's all about love, love, love. And, you know, there's these emotional things. But the commitment and the sacrifice are very rarely a part of that. And I don't think Tina Turner is alone in navigating those feelings. You know, we've all kind of had that, that perspective, I'm sure, over the years. So where do we get our proper understanding of love? Well, of course, as believers, we go to the source. We go to the Bible, right? It's God's love story to humanity. It tells us in the Bible that true biblical love is pure. It's good. It's selfless. It's unconditional. It goes far beyond the love of the world because there's something, or may I say someone, greater who's behind it, who's the creator of love, who's the the one who sustains true love, and that's, of course, God. So I'm going to read through these verses in 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12, and then we'll kind of, we'll break it apart a little bit. And beginning in verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And in, and in this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. Wow, those few verses have uh, the word love or loved or loves, I think, 13 times in just those six verses. Love one another. Why? Because God loved us. I love the Greek in that verse. It says, agapetos agapeo, which is to mean those who loved, those who are loved should love. Those who are loved should love. And you notice that John uses that Greek word agape for love, that higher love, that kind of supernatural love, that unconditional love, that sacrificial love, not the emotional love that we're used to. So we aren't called to love others in order to earn God's love or even to show others how much we can love. We are called to love because we are loved by God. And now, with the acknowledgement of that, with the recognition of that, now we should do everything we do in light of that love. That should be the basis for everything that we do. It's a totally different motivation than the love of the world or the love that we see in culture. 
which is so often motivated by self. Well, I'll love if they love me first. Well, I'll love if they're lovable. Or I'll love if I feel like it that day. But that's not true biblical love. In verse 7, the second part of it, it says, For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So John here is emphasizing the love which we show one another that has its origin in God himself. He is the source of love. And if we call ourselves followers of Christ, we should be demonstrating that love to the world around us. John goes on to say that the love of God is imparted to us when we are born again. See, this is one of the things that happens to us when we put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. He imparts, first of all, we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and then he imparts the capacity to love as he loves. So we have the capacity to love in a supernatural way. Now, we don't always tap into that. We don't always love in that way. But we have that capacity. In our own strength, And within our own power, we're limited to how we can love. We're limited to how we may want to love others. You know, Jesus said to love love our enemies. And the religious leaders thought that the the Old Testament said to love love those who love you. But Jesus always turned it on its head and made us think and gives us a challenge. It could be our own selfishness or bias towards someone who we feel is not lovable that will restrict us or or hold us back from truly loving them. Or we're just feeling that we we don't have the ability to express love. Maybe we don't feel like we're even capable of giving love to someone else because maybe we're going through something or like even even what Pastor Joe said about um, just not feeling that you're worthy. But remember, our worth comes from Jesus Christ who died for us, who sacrificed his own life for us. But everyone who was born of God, that is born again, has been given the ability to love in a way which the natural man is not. Now, you may see love expressed and demonstrated in the world, and, and, it's, a, and it's a beautiful thing, and we recognize it. Even by unbelievers, it's not to say this is exclusive to followers of Jesus, that they know how to love. But when there's a motivation to love others because we've first been loved by God and we just want to pour out onto others, it's a more genuine love. It's a more selfless love. And it's the mark of a believer. It's the mark of a true believer. One who is born again will love others. It's just that's what people will see when they look at our lives. That's what we hope they see. In Matthew 22 Verses 37 through 39, Jesus expresses this. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord God. When he asked, what's the greatest commandment? You know, what, 
how can we do the best thing for, for God? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in John 14, 15, it says, if you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus says. Keep my commandments. So the greatest commandments, right, are summed up in those two. Love God and love others. And then if we're truly followers of Christ, we'll be what? We'll be obedient to those commandments. And it proves that we know God. And we know God in a way that's a deeper knowledge. You know, we can talk about knowing and, and you know, knowing of God and knowing about God. And maybe we've re read the Bible and we know a lot about what the Bible says. But the, not, the knowing here is gnosko, which in the Greek is a knowledge by experience. Have you experienced the love of God in your life? Can you look, as a believer, can you look back and see God's love poured out on you? That's gnosko. That's knowing God. It's a knowledge not just from the intellect, but from experience and from the heart. It's a knowledge that can only come, though, from an intimate, intimate familiarity with God. So that's our challenge. How do I gain a more intimate familiarity with God so that I can love others the way He wants me to love others? Above and beyond the natural. Above and beyond my feelings above and beyond their lovability or, or not. And then in, in verse 8 it says, he who does not, love, does, does not love does not know God. So here's the other side of it, right? For God is love. So this verse is saying two very important things. It says, first, peop although people who don't know God, like I said before, can do many loving things and even act in very loving ways, there's an aspect of love that is not of God. There may be a personal benefit that you receive from bestowing love on someone else. Or maybe it just makes you feel good. But even in that, isn't that somewhat of a self-centered motivation? The verse says also that God is love. And you know, we say that and it's the truth but what it doesn't say is God has the capacity to love. It doesn't say God loves the lovable. It doesn't say that God loves. It says God is love. It is his nature. It is his character. We love because we've been given the capacity by God to love, but God's character is all about love. Everything he does is motivated by love. And even the things that we don't understand, even the things that don't necessarily look like love, <laughs> and those are the, those, that's where faith comes in, right? 
That's where we see some things in the scriptures that we may not understand or see things in the world that we can't explain. And we just have to have the faith that God is motivated by love. So we see this background here of what love is, what true love is. But what does love look like in action? In verse 9 it says, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. So it's been said that love is an action word. You know, when, uh, when Claire and I were uh, running the marriage ministry, we spoke about this a lot in our, in our sessions, in our overnights, in our retreats, and things like that. Love is not an emotion as much as it is an action word. It's a verb. What would love look like if there was no outlet for the expression of that love? You wouldn't know. That's why the action of love is so important in manifesting and demonstrating what true love is. Some people may ask, why did God even create human beings? You know, we know, we believe that he's self-sufficient. He doesn't really need us, kind of in the way that we define need, right? So then what is our purpose to God? Well, I like to put it this way, you know, if a, if a married couple decides that they want to have children, it's usually not a self-centered motivation. It's so that they can shower love on other people, so that they can share that love with someone. And that's kind of what God does with us. As his children, he showers love down upon us. Because it is his character, it is his nature. He is love. And of course, the greatest expression of God's love is what? In the sending of Jesus, right? Into this fallen world. Into a world that was in rebellion. That still is in rebellion. So it's not that human beings were all that lovable <laughs> that God decided he wanted to send his son. It didn't work like that. And it shows us the love of Jesus to willingly do that and willingly go to the cross. Remember, no one took his life. He gave it up out of love. And also the love of the Father in sending the Son. You know, I think about that in, in the context of how some people look at the maybe the Old Testament and the New Testament and they kind of see two different fathers, two different gods, you know, maybe the Old Testament God, a God of judgment and, and, uh, and angry and cruel, and the God of the New Testament is maybe as de depicted by Jesus as meek and mild. And, and I see that God's love was consistent throughout. Actually, it was consistent even before the world was created. You see, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit are in perfect harmony with one another in all these things. And it's specifically the love of the Father that is demonstrated in sending the Son. John 3.16 tells us, For God so what? Loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
God loved the world before the world loved him. God loved the world before the world loved him. This was not a quid pro quo type situation where God said, well, when the world decides to love me, then I'll, I'll demonstrate love. I'll show love. This was not God demonstrating love to a world who was open arms ready to receive him. It was to a hostile, hostile world. And it still is. Romans 5, 7, and 8 says, For scarcely would a righteous man, for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's, that's, that's really hard to wrap our brains around, I think. That really is. That's a difficult concept. See, you may, you may have it in you to die for a righteous man. You may have it in you to sacrifice for a good person. That, that's, I, I'd say that's commendable. That's noble. That most people would have that in them. That if they see someone who's righteous, someone who's, who's, uh, you know, who's worthy of dying for. You may go and sacrifice for them, but God did the opposite. He sacrificed for those who were in rebellion. And unlike the fleeting love of man, God loves those who are even still in rebellion against Him. His love is completely independent of our desire or our ability to show him love in return. And like I mentioned in my intro, that's the love of God. That's how he draws people to himself, through his love. That's how he drew me. I saw the love of God demonstrated through the people, and I recognized that there was something much, much different there. It drew me, it drew many of you, the love of God. When love is put into action, it also accomplishes something. God's love accomplished not only the salvation of our souls, but also the ability to live through Him. And what does that mean? What does that mean to live through Him? It means that in all we do, we do it through the empowering of the Holy Spirit in us through the understanding and the acknowledgement that Christ is within each of us. Which means that when we love others, it also accomplishes great things. It also, it also does awesome things when we love others. Because people will be drawn to God when we love as He loved. People will get an accurate representation of God through a follower of Christ who's demonstrating true love. You know, I've got to say that a lot of uh, people's opinion about who God is and who Christians are come from poor examples of us sometimes. Just not, not loving not loving people, judging people, um, marginalizing 
people, having preconceived notions of people that we may not even know, but maybe we know their lifestyle, we know their situation, we, we are judgmental, and we decide that we're not going to share the love of Christ with them. But that's not what God does. See, people will get a more accurate representation of who God is when we love the way He loves. Unconditional. Unconditional love. When someone asks what it means to be a Christian, we should be able to say that we live through him who loved us. If you want to know God, people should be able to look at our lives and become familiar with who God is. And God is the initiator of love. In, in verse 10 it says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. Spurgeon says of this verse, if there was to be reconciliation between God and man, man ought to have sent, been, ought to have, ought to have sent to God, the offender ought to be the first to apply for forgiveness. Isn't that kind of the way we normally go about it? in our human way of thinking, if we offend, then we should go to that person and seek forgiveness. But, the weak, he goes on and says, the weaker should apply to the greater for help. The poor man should ask of him who distributes alms. But herein is love that God sent. God sent. God was the initiator. He was the first to send an an embassy of peace between God and man. He didn't wait for us. He does call. He does draw. He does want a response. But he's the first to initiate. It reminds us that God is the initiator of love in our relationship. He made the first move. Although mankind is the offender, God had a plan to save us before we we even existed. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter, verses 18 through 20. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Before the foundation of the world. So you can't claim God loves you because he knew you were going to be so lovable and wonderful. Before you even existed, before any of us, We're here. God had a plan. How awesome is that? How awesome? Doesn't it take the pressure off of us to to be perfect? And, you know, the songs today were just so beautiful in, in demonstrating that. Right? So we acknowledge the love of the Father in sending Jesus, and that in and of itself would have been enough, Right? sent Jesus 
to show us how to live, live the perfect life, how to be obedient to his Father. We just look at Jesus and we could just follow his example, how to, how to glorify God in everything he did, how to love others. You know, it would have been, would have been enough. But there was more. God put love on top of love. Not only did he send his son into this fallen world, into this rebellious world, but he also sent him for a purpose. Propitiation, that word, has the idea of a sacrifice. A sacrifice that turns away the wrath of God. Because we have to understand, and this is basic, basic to the gospel message, that apart from the sacrifice of Jesus, we're rightly under God's judgment. We are rightly under God's judgment. Now, I know that's not something that the world likes to admit or even hear. But if we really look deep down, we, we know. We know in some ways we've offended God. And so we need someone to be that propitiation, that sacrifice. You know, people might say, well, I'm basically a good person. You know, I, I never murdered anybody, and I give to charities. And, you know, you, we, hear, we all hear that. We might have said it in the past. But that doesn't remove the penalty of sin that we commit. James 2.10 tells us, for whoever shall stumble, whoever shall keep the whole law yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. So you may look at the Ten Commandments and you may say, well, I'm good eight out of the ten. Our good doesn't outweigh our bad. That's not how God judges. God doesn't grade on a scale, a sliding scale. But what I love about it is, on the cross, Jesus takes that punishment. He took that punishment that we deserved. He became that substitutionary sacrifice for our offenses, big or small, major or minor, doesn't matter. The littlest thing, the littlest sin. Jesus went to the cross for all of that. And that's the beauty of what love demonstrated really means. In verse 11, as we keep going in 1 John 4, John writes, Beloved, if God so loved us, then we ought to love one another. So again, this is not saying, well, since God loved us, we should love one another. Or because God decided to love us, then now as a response we love one another. But God loved us. That's, there's nothing that further that needs to be said about that. God loved us. What do we do with that? What do we do with that as people, as human beings? What do we do with love when we've been shown love, when we've been shown forgiveness and grace and His mercy is more, right? More than all of our sins. So the application of this, right? The response of love. The response. That's what, that's what we're all here for. Okay, now what do we do? Where do we go from here? 
John goes back to the beginning, kind of reiterating that there should be a response to the love. So what's the point? What's the point in all of this? John says in verse 11 that because of God's love, we should love others. It's really not that complicated. We see it in the parable in Matthew 18, the parable of the two debtors. You know, very interesting account here. I'll just, I'll just read through it and then we'll kind of just look at it for a second. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. I'm reading from the NIV. You probably have a different version up, up there. 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had had to be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins, a much smaller amount. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could, could pay his debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in and says, You wicked servant. I said, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? See, there's the demonstration. There's the kind of the, the modern terminology of paying it forward, right? We see that. Paying it forward. Not becoming bloated Christians, but being, being vessels, willing vessels. The master forgave the one who owed so much money and he should have been grateful for this and in turn forgive his fellow servant, but he didn't do that. There was no demonstration. There was no outlet of that love. God's love isn't just the object of a theological discussion. It's not cold, hard facts. His love should drive us. His love should motivate us to be more like Him. And then in turn, pour that same kind of love out on everyone we meet. You know, I don't know, last week, last two weeks ago, I guess, was Valentine's Day. And, you know, you want to show the one you love how much you love them. And... Uh, so I usually get flowers and, and a nice card for Claire and uh, did that this year. And then that afternoon she wound up in the hospital with pneumonia. So we, I had to put our, our Valentine's Day dinner on hold and everything else. The love, this is not puffing myself up, but this is anybody. My love for her wasn't demonstrated in the, in the flowers in the card. It was just an expression. My love was demonstrated in my care and concern for her and being in the hospital, staying with her 
and now you know caring for her after she's home this is how you show love do you care for someone do you do you sacrifice your time your your efforts whatever it is you know the flowers believe it or not the flowers are still really nice it's like it's almost two weeks sometimes flowers die in like three days right and you say oh my goodness i wasted all that money but they still look nice but they're temporary. They will eventually, right? They're going to they're gonna die. They're going to wilt. You, know, you pull, up, pull out the wilted ones and you leave the good ones and you make a smaller vase. But they're eventually all going to die. See, love, is per- love goes on forever, right? See, this, see the difference? The demonstration of true love, right, is, is that it, it, it lasts forever. Amen. So there should be a response. There should be an overflow of love that we've received from God onto others. And then closing up here in verse 12, it says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. I love that. And his love has been perfected in us. So that word abiding is remaining, is being close to. You know, the Bible tells us that we should abide in Christ. Right? We, should, we, should, we should remain close to Jesus so that we might bear fruit, beautiful fruit. But God abides in us. He remains close in us, through us, giving us the ability to love. And that, his, and that his love has been perfected in us. Now, that word perfected is more like completed. Completed. Or matured. You know, sometimes it, sometimes it takes a little bit of time for the demonstration of love to be matured in us. It doesn't come always right away. It could be months, years, decades, that you finally get it, right? Finally get it. What's, what is true love? How do I demonstrate that true love? It's not something necessarily that we, we... It's imparted immediately as soon as we become believers, but it doesn't always manifest itself in what we do in our day-to-day. Sometimes it takes time. So his love has been perfected in us. It's been matured, completed within us. It's a growing thing. You know, just as the flowers will wilt and die, that love should be growing more and more each and every day. Kind of an opposite way of looking at it. Love is perfected in us. It's completed in us when we demonstrate that love to someone else. You know, back to the, the Jesus Revolution movie, you know, G- Chuck's love toward the, the kids was... Uh, was a love that was uh, unconditional and there was nothing that they could give him in return. They didn't have any money, most of them. You know, they couldn't, uh, you know, they couldn't, you know, make his ministry any uh, richer. There was no benefit, self-benefit to that. And so, and so how do we show love to someone who we don't receive anything back from? That's hard. That's not always so easy. 
but his arms were open to those who were hurting, right? And I, again, I said I felt that love when I walked in, when I was hurting. When I was hurting. So, the practical application, right? That's always what we want to look for in these messages. We see God's love established from the beginning of time, from the foundation of the world, sending His Son, dying on the cross for our sins, unconditional, right? Nothing in return. We live it out. We live it out because Christ is in us. We live through Him to others. We demonstrate that love. But in a practical way, what does that look like? What does that look like? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, and we've heard this at weddings hundreds of times probably. I know I've used it in weddings that I've officiated over. But uh, in verses 4 through 7, it says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does, does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Patient. Patient. Not an easy thing. Long-suffering. Bearing with one another, right? We bear with one another. Why do we have to bear with one another? Well, because none of us are perfect. I know people bear with me. (laughs) Because we're not perfect. So we, we have patience with one another. We step back when a situation comes up and we could react, right? Or we could have patience. How do we do that? How do we show love? How are we kind to one another? How are we caring, thoughtful of one another? Do we think of others more highly than ourselves? Are others always in our thoughts, in our prayers, in our motivation to do whatever we do. No envy, no jealousy, no resentment, right? How ugly is jealousy? How ugly is resentment? Kind of the opposite of love, right? You resent someone for maybe doing better than you or or getting more than you. Envious of that. That's not love. Love is humble. It's not puffed up. Humility. People love humility. People love humble people. It, they, they really do. They don't uh, pride in a, in a way that is arrogant is is not very attractive, really. So humility, humility, and respectful. Are we respectful to everybody, no matter what? Are we respectful? And that's hard because sometimes people can tick us off. You know, we're driving on the road and somebody cuts you off. That'll test your, your uh, attitude of respect for others, right? Are we selfless? Not seeks his own. Are we selfless in what we do? Is our motivation always for others and not ourselves? You know what I've noticed, though, too? When we're selfless, and you guys can attest to this, you who serve and, and, and do for others, when you're selfless, don't you get blessed? Isn't it just the way it works? Doesn't God just bless you because you decided that you were going to be selfless 
in that situation. I, I love that. God doesn't say, you just be selfless and selfless and selfless and selfless and, and feel like you're being stepped on. That's not, that's not how it works. You get blessed, so blessed because of that. Thinks no evil. Thinks no evil. Do you think the best of people? Boy, I had to work on that. I had to work on that. You know, always thinking that people have ulterior motives or people have an agenda, you know, in personal relationships, you know. You know, we, we, we sometimes think, don't we sometimes think the worst of people? Oh, what did they mean by that? Texts can be the worst, right? Oh, what did they... Hi, how you doing? What did you mean by that? <laughs> I mean, you know, all caps? Oh no, you're yelling at me. It, it, it's tough, right? It's tough. Think the best of people. That's, that's not easy to do. Rejoices in good things. Rejoices in good things. When someone, something good happens to someone else, do you rejoice with them in that? Are you happy for them? in those things. And then bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures. Endures. Do you hang in there when the going gets tough in a relationship? Do you hang in there when, the, when, when you're giving maybe more than, than the other person because there is a need there, Right? There's a need that you've been in that, you've been placed in that relationship for a purpose. There's a need that you're filling in their lives. Push through that. Endure in those things. You've got to get through to the other side. You have to see what God's doing through you in that relationship and how important that is to endure when the going gets tough. So those things kind of just, you know, put into action. Practical, practical application of that. You know, the theological explanation of love and agape, and the, we can go through the Greek and the, the different words that are used for love, and that's great, but this, this love is the agape love of God, the unconditional love of God, the supernatural, really supernatural love of God, that we are incapable, incapable of really doing in the way that he would want us to do it, apart from the indwelling of him in us. True biblical love. What's love got to do with it? Everything, right? I mean, what, what's, what's anything we do without, without love being the motiva motivation behind it? True love. Not just an affectionate feeling. It's the love which God demonstrated when he created us and sent his son to die for us, to save us. And this is the kind of love that God wants all of us to practice each and every day. Well, let's pray. Lord, it's a high calling to love the way you loved. But Lord, you call us to that. And maybe there are some here today that are saying, I'm, I'm trying to do this in my own strength. I'm trying to love someone. But they don't have that relationship with you yet. 
and they're striving to love, and they're striving to be patient. They're striving to be long-suffering and kind, and they find themselves failing like many of us have. They need an indwelling of your Holy Spirit in order to do that. I pray, Lord, today that maybe there's someone here who decided that today is the day that I'm going to I'm going to love in the way that God wants me to love, but I, I know I need Jesus in my life to do that. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.